We are looking to empower current and former foster youth. Unbelievably resilient. The next generation of great foster youth. And now season two of the You Are Foster Strong podcast. Welcome back, everybody, to season two, episode three of Foster Strong. We got a great show ahead of us. We got my sister on board. We'll be talking to Michelle. Hey. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so I mean, I'll, we'll just jump right back in, right into it. Uh, Carrie's here with us as well. Uh, yeah, we also ha- will have a recording of this. You'll see some videos some, of all of our faces. You can see uh, our setup and everything. But, uh, you know, so in other news, what's going on today and in this day and age is... You know, it's, there's a lot going on, and I feel like every day I'm kind of just overwhelmed by the amount of things that are happening, but, you know, so we just zoom in on, like, a couple of things to give you all just something, a little taste, you know, but little little is good. So, uh, yeah, I know Biden uh, just signed a, an executive order to for, you know, gun control, gun reform. Actually, I would say reform because it's not quite control. It's just very different. Um, and, I mean, it's kind of sad when you think of it, but the U.S. is getting back to normal, mass shootings, like it's what, you know, North, there's South Carolina and Texas recently, so at least we can see that the administration is stepping up to the plate. But in, and I guess in better news, um, there was a small neighborhood where these, these kids were adopted. And basically in this town, these children were adopted after an arduous many years of not having been adopted and their town through a parade for them. And I think that's just, it's just really sweet to, to think about that. I mean, do you, have y'all heard of anything that's, that's like that, where a, a, a city is throwing, a, imagine that, imagine you were in that situation when you got adopted your town through a parade for you. I mean, I think so that's cute. wonderful. Like all the positive energy into starting that family and it's like supported by the whole town, right? But yeah, I've never heard of something like that happening before. So that's kind of heartwarming. Yeah, it, I was reading the article and one of the little girls, so cute, I guess that it was a really long wait for them to get adopted. And so as we know, some of those processes can be years. And for this family, they were waiting five years to finalize that adoption. And so I think that that was a testament to the community being in it with them. They had the whole town supporting them in this journey to become a family. So what a what a beautiful testament to truly wrapping your arms around a family. And one of the little girls who was interviewed for the article said that when she's older, she wants to help kids in foster care too. So very heartwarming, very positive story. It's just kind of like the, the visibility of it that I think is just so great because so many people that I encounter, they're like, oh, you're the first person that I know that was went through the child welfare system. And so just to give visibility so people have it on their radar that they know that, you know, over 400 plus thousand kids experience this system and, you know, they go unseen and unnoticed. And so it, it gives them a small voice in some sense, you know, so I, I love, I love yeah. it. Um, but yeah, I mean, also in for the for the Gen Zers out there, um, Demi Lovato, I know she released a new album, Dancing with the Devil. Hey, hey, that's not just the Gen Zers. Millennials, she first of all, Demi Lovato is a millennial and she was on Disney like this the same time that we were still watching Disney. So while the Gen Zers love her, the millennials loved her first because we were born first. At Stone Cold. I mean, I, I, I know it. I know it. I know her. I know her music. But it's, did she get big? On Disney, like as I like. Hey, what generation are you guys? Because I'm over here, like I don't listen to Demi Lovato. Okay, well, 
I was a, definitely on the Demi train when I was young, young, and still am. I mean, I think, you know, I love that Lino flagged that her album just came out because in um, in collaboration with her new music being released, she's also been releasing pieces of her new documentary, and it's four segments, and it basically, it goes into all of the backstory of her life. As many of us know, she's really struggled with substance use and addiction and has had some really heavy um st- just coverage of her overdoses in the news. And so, I mean, I've heard about her overdoses in the past, but this documentary just does such a beautiful job of talking about the trauma that she's experienced in her life, the pain that she was experiencing to then try and turn to substances to cope. And I I don't know, I think many of us can probably relate to a lot of what she speaks to, but I think that one of the pieces that I would just really highlight is that she exemplifies what it means to be unbelievably resilient. And that shines through in this documentary. And that is the theme of our season. So I I just want to transition to somebody else who's here with us today who also exemplifies and embodies what it means to be unbelievably resilient. Ixchel Martinez, our guest Thank you, thank you, thank you, Ischel Martinez. Yes, um, thank you for having me here today on Foster Strong. Um, it's a great honor to be sitting with you guys on this Friday afternoon and discussing, you know, life and all that it comes with, um, and also being able to highlight, you know, the stories of people that are really going through resilience, right? They're <laughs> really embodying resilience, as you're saying. Yeah. And- Excel and I met in D.C. Uh, years ago now because she was in the city advocating for other kids who had been through the foster care system and, and we connected and got to work on some policy recommendations together and I just saw firsthand what an amazing advocate you are for children and families and last summer I think we were sitting around a table talking and somebody made the joke that we should just record this conversation and make it a podcast. And a year, almost a year later, here we are sitting down and recording a podcast. So a big welcome to Lino's sister and our guest for this evening, Excel. Yes, yes. L- Lino's big sister, by the way, <laughs> not his little sister. Did I say little sister? No, no, but I just mean, I need to you make a distinction. <laughs> no. Okay, yeah, we get it. It's, uh, it's to cut that big, big sibling energy. We, we get it. <laughs> no, but... Um, I can't let you go. I can't let you yeah, off the hook. And just like also to like preview a little bit, like Excel lives out in California still. I live out here in D.C. Uh, she's working as a therapist and studied at um, USC, Go Trojans, I guess for the who are Go Trojans. Fight on. Is that the saying? Fight on? Fight on, yeah, because we're Trojans, and we like to fight, apparently. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, with that big sister energy, I I know that's very fitting, honestly. Um, You know, but it's as these, like, mascots, as we're talking about, like, you know, how it's, like, fitting, but, like, throughout, I mean, I can, I have, like, so many questions that I could ask you from, because it's, like, 
everything that we could talk about under the sun, and we do all the time. You're gonna put me on the spot here, on public, in public. <laughs> That's what I'm saying, it's like, you're in the hot seat now, and everybody's watching, so. But, no, I'll, I'll actually throw you, <laughs> I'll throw you a softball. Um, and actually, I don't really, I might, I might know this, but who is your favorite superhero and why? So, Candy had actually asked me this question already, and when I responded to her, I gave her, like, my honest first thought, which was Malcolm X, and I think, you know, he really embodies to me what a superhero is, somebody who has made the best out of the cards that they were dealt in life, not having been, you know, given a good hand, and really spoke for you know, the the underdogs, the people that were suffering and did not, you know, want to let go of that justice and that mission for himself. And I think, you know, reading his autobiography and getting to learn about his life and the struggle that he went through, um, you know, as a, a black man living in the South and being adopted by a white family and then later, you know, living in an urban city and being incarcerated and educating himself I think for me, he really just embodies that spirit of justice and fighting and, you know, resiliency, getting up and not allowing the the oppressiveness of suffering to kill his spirit, you know, and put him down. And I think for me, that's resilience is getting back up when you have been trodden on. Dang, mic drop. I mean, Lino was on other episodes that we've recorded this season. Lino, did anyone give an answer that wasn't like Superman? <laughs> that's I, that's the thing is, I was like, I was thinking like, because we've definitely asked that ty- that style of question, and I, when she said Malcolm X, I was like, oh, I guess we could also talk about like real people as well. Um, I mean, I told Candy Batman as well. <laughs> I told her with the follow up, like, if you want, if you want a, you know, a more conventional superhero, Batman would have to be it. And I think my only criticism is that he should use his money to fix Gotham instead of just fighting crime. Batman was Sean Anders' answer too, I think, right? Or it was it Nate. was somebody it was, that had was like that the answer. first episode yeah 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 i'm pretty sure he said that yeah but um no i mean i it's actually it's also funny because like we share that that batman i think that's also why batman is very special to me growing up he always has like because we we used to watch those old batman movies with poison ivy and you know arnold schwarzenegger as like what it was mr freeze mr freeze yeah oh my god (laughs) everybody forgets that but yeah that that happened arnold schwarzenegger not only was he the governator my favorite was the riddler though the riddler was my favorite or penguin man oh yes penguin All right, but like getting a little more serious though, I think um, it's, you know, here at Foster Strong, we focus a lot on storytelling and hearing people's stories. And I mean, one of these quotes like throughout my life, it's always stuck with me is that like, you can't hate the person whose story you know. And I think it's, it lends a lot of value to to just stories in general and the power. I also, I'm browsing through TikTok the other day, somebody said that like, they, they commissioned an artist bought all these objects for like 50 cents a piece and then they commissioned all these writers to write stories for those objects and then they sold them and they like sold for much more just because it's like but so it's like the power of storytelling so you know tell the audience this is your chance to tell the audience your story um and you know i mean i can all day try to tell your story but i can't tell it as well as you no matter 
no matter how much I know it, it's based, sometimes our story is the same story, but. I mean, well, my story is your story. Your story is my story, right? It's our story. And we each know the story together and how you can fill in the, the parts that I don't remember or the parts that you want to chime in on if you, if you want to contribute. Um, yeah, I don't know how to start these stories over. I'm like, where do I start? Like, cause the whole life is the story, right? But it's like, there's just so much that has gone on. And I think for me, um, you know, I'm very much exploring the intersection of my identity as like an Afro Latina woman growing up in America, in America, first generation, uh, first generation college student, first generation in her family to, you know, graduate from college and just the struggle that that comes with because that struggle comes with a certain storyline and I think a lot of people know it you know we have a lot of immigration issues in our country today Um, what's going on at the border the refugees that are coming to our country all of that stuff is intertwined with this story you know um, both of my parents having immigrated to the U.S. uh, my mom from Cuba my mom from Guatemala and my dad from Cuba Um, you know, living in the inner city, trying to adapt and adjust to the culture um, and the adversity, you know, that that comes with the stigmatization, the discrimination, the marginalization because of their identity as, um, you know, monolingual Spanish speakers, um, people that have been incarcerated, people that have, you know, legal systems ties, ties to the Department of Child and Welfare Services, you know, I think all of that stuff intertwines together. Like it's never one thing. It's always like multiple things when you when you encounter those things, especially in regards to poverty and stress and violence. Right. Like all of that stuff is intertwined. And, um, you know, for me, looking at it from that lens, like I try to understand as I get older, the empathy component of that, like, yes, these things and these systems exist to ameliorate supposedly the situation, but they don't, you know, they actually make it worse and they, they punish people for the suffering that they go through and create a bigger problem, create a bigger monster, more alienation um, and less support, right? It's like very much a, a stick approach as opposed to a carrot approach. Yeah, you're totally describing that punitive approach that especially we take with parents in foster care, that parents aren't allowed to struggle, especially if you're a poor parent. Then, you know, it, you struggling is the first trigger of maybe having your kids taken away. So can yeah, you tell yeah. us a little bit, Lino and Excel, what your experience was like in foster care and how you were able to support each other as brother and sister through that experience? I think Excel just hearing all of the things that sort of were stacked against you all was helpful, but would love to hear more. I mean, first off, I, I want to say that it's like the that you touched upon something that I think is really important is that there's this mischaracterization of the foster care system, right? And that goes back to the inception of Foster Strong in general is that we're trying to break down these stigmas and change the narrative. And we're talking about poverty and and scarcity and living in in the scarcity mindset and like people immigrating to the country and 
the thing is, is that like the majority of children placed into the system come from neglect, not abuse. But everybody understands child welfare through this lens of abuse. And so it's just completely misunderstood on its face. But I mean, growing up, it, it I mean, it wasn't the easiest to kind of like, I did to, I guess, own up to that. And to, because it's like, oh, if you say you're part of foster care, then there's the automatic implication that, oh, it's like, oh, you're parents used to beat you or something like that. You're the kid with no parents. Where are your parents at? (laughs) And then you got to explain to them, well, my mom is addicted to drugs and in jail. And it's like nobody else's parents are doing that. Everybody else's parents are bringing cookies and cakes to the class to share, right? And so you don't want to tell people what you know is true to be in your family. And you might be in second or third grade, fifth grade, you know, and you have this secret that you're harboring you know and it makes you feel like you're less than like you're not good enough like there's something wrong with you and I think that when people carry around that belief system on their back for reasons that are you know out of their own control it affects what you think you deserve in life and what you just think you do you think you're worth yeah and I mean I think we talked about this it was like episode five of last season but the fact that we always at least had each other and how much of a privilege that was that you know the fact that and it was hard to keep us together i feel like that was the one thing they would use to threaten me all the time to keep me in line like oh we're gonna give you seven days and kick you out and your brother's gonna stay here right and i felt like that was just that emotional manipulation tactic which was very cruel to consider you know having to do that to a child who's already experiencing a lot of emotional distress um in an absence of the the co-regulation and the support of somebody they trust. Yeah, and I mean, I think like that's the thing is that like it's weird because our trust is pretty much unspoken sometimes. Like it's like it's just like implicit. It's like we we just have it, and we are we already know like that you know if something's going on or whatever, we can just reach out and be like, and it's like all right, what's up, and kind of a thing, and just like drop everything and And not all siblings have that i think especially in the foster care system especially if they don't get to grow up together and even if they do get to grow up together like sometimes the conditions don't foster that type of relationship right but luckily um you know me and my brother were able to preserve that connectedness amongst all the disconnection amongst all the chaos and i think that that was definitely to my benefit definitely to his benefit just in you know keeping me accountable and responsible to the lives that are around me and teaching me how to be a caregiver, um, a lover of of people, somebody who is empathetic and self-giving. You know, I think all of those qualities came out of that experience of growing up and having to fend for my brother and share the little bit that we did have together. I got a question for you, actually. As you were saying some of that stuff, uh, one of the one of the things that I like I remember in terms of like, yes, we've had this privilege of like having each other. But I do remember like when we were placed in the orphanage and I remember like how, you know, I guess sad it was when I was like forced to go sleep in the other room. Remember they were like, uh, when we were uh, required to to be in separate rooms like growing up, like when we went to go live yeah, in the Yeah, because of, of gender policy, right? And I've always wanted to ask you what that was like for you, how that affected you. Um... I mean, I was sleeping in the room with somebody I didn't know. That was weird. <laughs> That's always weird. And then, 
you know, kids are distressed. They're very much distressed and emotionally dysregulated. So, you know, they're crying, they're sad, they're acting out. There's a lot of behaviors um, that, you know, will come out as a result of that stuff. Um, but I think for me, you know, that that experience in and of itself was it's it shows you something about the foster care system. And I think it's important to understand on an empathic level, like how to take care of kids that you are removing from the home is removal the best option. Is there something else that can be done, you know, to keep the family together and maybe provide the support to alleviate the stressors that are contributing to the disintegration of the family? Yeah, I think right now the child welfare system is really at this pivotal point where they're looking in the mirror for the first time in a very long time and realizing that they've got it wrong for a really long time and done much more damage to many children instead of doing what they're supposed to do and protect kids, right? Because so many young people now age out of the system without permanent connections. We all know the statistics that are stacked against young people aging out. And when you ask these young people, what did you need? What could have been different for you? A lot of them say, I wish you would have helped my family. I wish that you would have given my parents the support they needed so that we could stay together as a family. And I think that you're seeing the shift in foster care where organizations, nonprofits are all trying to make sure that we're doing everything possible to prevent a child from ever having to be removed from their family, especially when it's a case of neglect that is really just poverty and a family needs resources and services to stay together. Yeah, I think um, you bring up a really good point about, you know, the necessity for trauma-informed care in those systems. But I think those systems are so so oppressive. Even the people that work in them are are feeling oppressed by them, right? High caseloads, feeling overwhelmed, the vicarious trauma. It's hard to stay empath- empathic when you're being bombarded by that every day and it's a revolving door of suffering. So, like, I think the whole system, you know, not just how we respond to the families, but also how we treat the people that work in those in those systems, how we do social service systems in America in general. Right. Um, money shouldn't be the bottom line. People should be the bottom line and we should be using our money to support the people in their greatest potential, whether that's through education or healthcare or access to the resources to keep your family together or to help your child develop the way that they need to. Maybe you didn't get the the education from your own parenting because, you know, we do the best that we can with what we're given and nobody gets a manual with their kid that says, hey, here is the the buyer's guide, you know, like nobody gets that. <laughs> I'm sure everyone wished that it came with a buyer's guide, a refund option, all of those things, but that's just not the way it works. Um, but I, I love that you brought that up, Ixchel, and, and we know that you're incredibly passionate about education. And I think at your undergrad, you actually started a California Youth Connection chapter on your campus. You were very involved in advocacy efforts during your education journey. You went on to get your master's. So it would be great if you could tell us and our listeners why education is so important to you and sort of what is your message to encourage current and former youth in foster care who may be struggling with education themselves. 
So for me, um, you know, I think education, you really face this somewhat of an imposter syndrome. I don't care at what level you are, like even in elementary and middle school and high school, because you feel like the outcast, because you feel like the one whose life is so different from everybody else. And there's that othering you, you start to feel that, you know, those feelings of self-depreciation and lack of confidence, and it makes you feel like an imposter in those arenas. Like, I'm not a good student. I'm not smart. I'm not capable. I shouldn't try, you know, and I think a lot of um, those things are the belief systems that happen when you come from that type of oppressive environment. And it's not you, but it's the environment that you've been put in. But you know, if the environment's giving you that feedback, you can't help but think it's you, you know? And I'm gonna give an example of how this came up for me when I was in uh, my undergrad, you know? I'm in my undergrad, I'm struggling to get ahead, I'm dealing with all of this trauma, I'm dealing with, you know, the disintegration of my foster family, I'm having to testify in court against my foster dad, all of these things hitting me at this time. And simultaneously, I'm also thinking about how to offer opportunities to other fosters to get involved, to have a voice so that they can participate and do some of the things that I got to do, you know, when I was coming up. A lot of pressure, a lot of pressure. Exactly. But I think even in those moments, the fact that I was able to focus on others, not just myself, right? It's not just about me coming up, but it's about me bringing others with me and being that person that I needed at that time to lead me. Because there is a poverty of leaders, you know, to bring kids out of those circumstances. Um, I think, you know, for me, believing in myself, going to undergrad, getting my, you know, undergraduate degree in, in human development psychology. Um, the first psychology class I took, I flunked. And I did not do good, but I was also, you know, didn't have the foundational skills that a lot of kids have going into college or the support that a lot of kids had going into college to keep them on track. And I needed support, you know, from the the powers that be. I think the Guardian Scholars Program, it was in its one of its first years at UC Davis and they were opening it up as like a pilot program for foster youth to be kind of caught up in this net, right? You apply through FAFSA, they identify you, put you into this program to give you that safety net. Um, and so for me, having that support helped me to get involved in those things like CYC, to create to create capital and opportunity for other foster youth to get involved um, in that space. You know, AB12 came out of CYC, the aftercare support to foster youth till 21 in California. That was something that, you know, Lino got to partake in and benefit from that I didn't necessarily have when I emancipated out of the system. And it's scary when you're 18 and they're talking to you about, okay, you're about to be on your own and you don't have any skills. They've infantilized you because they've tried to control every aspect of your life. And even your foster parents might control aspects of your life that, you know, people don't don't understand, like putting food, you know, locked away in a cabinet because you can't eat at free times. You have to eat at certain designated times. Um, so, you know, emancipating out and deciding what is it that I'm going to do at 18, like most 18 year olds don't know what they want to do, don't have the skills to figure that stuff out. And I think for me, education was a natural next step. Like I excelled in an academic environment. So I had the opportunity to choose that when I turned 18. 
But, you know, that if I wouldn't have had that, I don't know where I would be today. You know, I wouldn't I don't know if I would be the same person that I am today or if I would have been caught in the trap still, you know, still trying to crawl my way out um, and dealing with the stress, the compounding stress of everything that I've already lived through and having to still undergo that stress at that point in time. First off, I mean, it's like everything you say is like around the money. Um, also, it's probably just going to feel like that to me because <laughs> it was all the same for me. But like just like the simple fact that that you I got to take advantage of a program that you didn't that literally made helped me come out of college debt free. And that's not something that happened for you. And so it's like very important for this advocacy, this education. So the work that you're doing, obviously, immensely important it matters yeah it matters it equates to real life changes in people's lives that are you know invaluable like i don't even know how to explain how invaluable it is to be able to go to college and graduate without debt and be able to just work to survive because you don't got anybody to to fall on if you don't make it you know you have to literally make it yeah and speaking of college i mean like you studied we we haven't even like you have your whole expertise behind you behind the, in, the, in your mental health practice as a therapist. And, you know, I think that our listeners uh, can benefit from some of that as well. Like there's all this education and everything that's going on, these big 3,000 foot, foot views. But then also when we come down to the individual, the internal, you know, what kind of insight could you offer to our listeners, um, you know, out there about inner peace and happiness and like the because the thing is is that like we've dealt with some pretty turbulent things and i know some of your coping skills but listeners don't and you know some of the things that you do to kind of you know maintain your oneness and your sanity because let me tell you that doing all of that at the same time like i i understand that it's it's wild i mean um Self, as a therapist, you know, I'm very privileged. I feel very privileged that I picked a profession where I could work on my internal healing infinitely. You know, as I do my work, my work benefits my clients. I I, I know how to teach them to get through the things that they're going through. Um, I like to say that life was my first educator, you know, education through experience. And it made college really easy for me because I knew a lot of the stuff that we were talking about since I lived through it. You know, I've lived through these dynamics and it was just, they were putting a language on my life and it felt like, oh, I know why these things are going on. So, you know, in terms of self-care, the practices that I think are really important and valuable to me, like obviously exercise, connecting with my body, those are the things that definitely help me to ground my nervous system. I think as somebody with complex trauma, complex compounding trauma, um, getting that nervous system under wraps and helping it to soothe individually through co-regulation on a daily basis through routine, whatever that might be for you. It could be reading books. It could be washing dishes and listening to music. It could be taking a shower at the end of the day, going on a walk, going to the beach, you know, listening, hitting your little bell or your sound bowl. (laughs) I, um, I, I just want to really quickly reiterate two of the quotes you just said, Ixchel. You said, life was my first educator, and they were putting a language to my life. 
And I just think that's so beautiful. And I love how we started the show. We started this interview with you talking about this beautiful adoption story where I believe those three were siblings. And so it it just, it's special that we were able to highlight the siblings set that was able to remain together in a family. And that's so much of you and Lino's story that you all were able to remain together in a family and you've served as such an important support for each other. And then to hear you speak about your education and knowing not that many of us graduate college because of many of the the challenges that college presents, but to have you here today, I just think that it's like looking at what it means to be unbelievably resilient. And so I would love if you could just tell us what it means to you. Um, I think being unbelievably resilient is being open to all the experiences of life, the good and the bad, um, and understanding that there is a silver lining, there is something to be learned through all of the experience, whether it's grace or acceptance or gratitude or whether it's learning how to just, you know, get through the moment a second at a time, um, a minute at a time, an hour at a time. I, we could stay here all day, but, you know, I, I, I could actually, before we leave or before we say goodbye or until next time, I'll probably talk to you tomorrow or something. But um, it, do you have anything that's upcoming that you want to tease your social media handle to kind of give our, um, you know, our audience, um, you know, more look into the work that you're doing. If, yeah, you know, I mean, know. if people want to check out my my Instagram page, Evolve Beloved, they they can feel free to go check it out. Um, I tend to just post things about life, current events, you know, positivity, uh, social justice, you know, oriented things. If they want to engage Women with me, women's empowerment. Women yes, I know. I'm I'm all about that. So if they just want to you know, engage with me, ask me any follow-up questions or collaborate on any work, you know, if I've spoken and anything that I've said has resonated with them, feel free to let me know. Alrighty. Well, Excel, love you. Love you Talk too, to you little brat. Lots of love for you. Love you too, Carrie. Love you too, Candy. <laughs> <laughs> Alrighty. Uh, yeah, that was, that was great. Um, so now we're on to our next generation of great and our aging out segments i know next generation of great is like a newer where we're kind of you know introducing the next generation of great and it kind of is really fits with the entire conversation that we just had with excel so you know kick us off carrie yeah we're really excited that uh, highlighting this section segment of rising leaders of our next generation of great foster youth alumni of foster care we just want to give the opportunity to nominate or highlight an unbelievably resilient young person who's either currently in the system or has been through the system that you feel has the ability to be an amazing leader so you can email us at candy at urfosterstrong.org that's candy with an i just so we're clear and tell us why in a short blurb why you think this person is the next generation of great. And today I'm super excited for who we're highlighting. I know this person personally because of their amazing advocacy work here in our nation's capital. And that is Miss Haley Dillia, who is a senior at Rowan University. Haley is pursuing a degree in mathematics and sociology. And she's also going to get a certificate 
and social justice and social change, which makes so much sense for this amazing advocate. She has worked as an ambassador with her local Department of Children and Family Services. She's worked with foster parents and caseworkers, utilizing her own experience to help guide them. And her firsthand experience and passion for reforming the system are really a driving force behind her plans to pursue a law degree. So she's quite an ambitious young lady and definitely a rising star and somebody we could not overlook for this next generation of great. So Haley, keep up all of the fantastic work. I feel so lucky to know you and just know that you're making a difference for many children, young people, and families. Yeah. And also we have, uh, and just so everybody knows, like our podcast coordinator, Candy, is joins us for all of these and she also is going to be talking about some of the aging out stuff and she's been going to be teasing some you know this aging out segment that we i kind of briefed us on was basically we're kind of trying to empower current and former foster youth to gain control of their lives and you know aging out it's a segment that provides resources you know, real life, like this is what's going on right now. This is what you can use today. And so there's scholarships, internships, advice, et cetera, you know, anything that we can do to leave a lasting impact on the, on the system. So I, I think Candy, you had uh, something that you wanted to tease for us this, this. Uh, yes. Isn't episode? it so great that now the producer can come on and say something. <laughs> um, you guys are doing such an amazing job. And I want to say thank you guys for letting me come on and talk about this uh, because this, this organization in particular is one that's very near and dear to my heart. Um, they're doing a lot to help children um, in and out of the system. And uh, this organization is the Felix organization. They're based in New York and LA. And what they do is they send uh, hundreds of youth to overnight camp every single summer because they want to give youth an opportunity to just be a kid. You know, I think that's so important. That's something that we can all relate to as children that grew up in care. And this year they are celebrating 15 years of service. And by doing so, they're going to be raising money through their fundraiser. So um, they did did a fundraiser called Walk This Way, um, which is going to provide enrichment opportunities and essential resources for children in foster care. Um, it happened in New York. Uh, it was this past uh, Sunday on May the 9th. Um, and again, it was in honor of National Foster Care Awareness Month. Um, it was socially distanced. It was from about 9 a.m. to 10 a.m. Um, and again, we want to thank everyone that signed up for that amazing event. Um, and again, if you want to continue to donate to their cause, you can go to walkthiswayforkids.org. They do so much for children in and out of the system. Uh, They're definitely an organization to highlight. And if you know of any organizations that are doing great things for children that are aging out of the system, please let us know. Um, You can contact us on our Instagram or, you know, email one of, one of, you know, one of us. So uh, yeah, thank you. I'm going to throw this back to you, Lena. Thanks guys. Thanks for coming out of the recesses for that one. (laughs) (laughs) I know, I know everybody can really check them out. Uh, The Felix organization, it's great work. Um, so that pretty much like wraps us up. Uh, we had a great show. You know, it's, I I finally like have unwound. I feel like everybody, I mean, you're listening to this, you're going to realize that in the beginning of this episode, it's like this always happens every single time I start out the show. And by the end of it, I always feel so much lighter. 
Because we're doing your favorite thing in life, which is connecting with others. And I think today probably felt a little extra special because your sister was on the show. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, that's true, true. But, you know, if, if everybody's interested in, in learning more, you can uh, visit us at youarefosterstrong.org. Um, pretty much all of our social media handles are youarefosterstrong. That's Instagram. You can find us on Facebook by that as well. Or you can just through our website it, everything's linked our youtube feed we actually have a bunch of videos on there lots of great content um talking a little bit about that advice we get down into the weeds it gives us a little bit more time to to talk about some of that stuff but you know carrie looking back on the show and i, I know i feel lighter but you know what I know you wrote down two quotes. You came out of the show, two quotes. You know, the Martina siblings always have lots of wisdom and I always love spending time with the two of you. And I think your relationship is so special. So to have an inside view into it is also really special. So I think I am going to wrap us up on a quick quote that really touches on our season's theme, which is unbelievably resilient. And this quote comes from Miss Maya Angelo and it is I can be changed by what happens to me but I refuse to be reduced by it so we leave you all with that as always thank you for listening thank you for walking on this journey with us we love you and appreciate you thanks everybody for for listening you know if you want to check us out check out our, our next episode coming out in the next couple of weeks uh, you can find us on Spotify Apple Apple iTunes you know, or Apple Podcasts, I mean, uh, or any of the other Google Podcasts, pretty much every anywhere where you can find a podcast, check us out. Check us out on Instagram at youarefosterstrong and stay tuned with all the great things that we're doing on our website at youarefosterstrong.org. And remember, you are unbelievably resilient. Your story matters.